If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Severely and significantly hoping no recording software fails and we have to record this one again before the Norwich game. Yes, that would be ideal. We had our technical issues on Raw, which we'll just blame on Trev because he's not here. Uh, And unfortunately, I am having Discord issues today. So we are recording this one via Skype as opposed to on Discord. So apologies to subs. You can't get to listen in live to this one. But hopefully it'll be a good one. Liverpool play Norwich on Saturday at 3 p.m., in the Premier League. Carl, this will be the third time we've played Norwich this season. Uh, a 3-0 victory at Carrow Road on the opening day of the season and a 3-0 victory at Carrow Road in the third round of the EFL Cup. This is game three of four. We will play them at home in the FA Cup fifth round on March the 2nd or in about two weeks' time. It is actually, I think, two weeks' time. So, um... Let's start with Norwich. They have improved of late. Now, that's not saying a whole lot considering how desperate they've been, but they did put together a nice little run where they beat Everton. They gave Watford a bit of a smacking. They got a good draw with Crystal Palace. Now, they did lose to Manchester City at the weekend, but there's no real shame in that. City should be beating Norwich. But Norwich have looked like a team with a bit more purpose of late. Yeah, a bit more structure, a bit more uh, awareness, a bit more cohesion, a bit more everything, really. Uh, I think under Daniel Farker, it was, he said quite often they have they had the basis for a, a half-decent side. And obviously on a technical level, they're a nice team when they're confident and playing well. But there was just no grit to them, no bite to them, no fallback plan, very, very little in the way of aggression in the team. And the biggest thing that I've seen since Dean Smith has gone in is that there is now a lot more of a hunger and a desire when they're not in possession. There's much more intensity and energy about their play. There's much more resilience about their defensive work. And that has led to an upturn in fortunes. Like you said, it was a four-match unbeaten streak, three of them victories across the two competitions. 
And while that's not like amazing, while it's not enough to you know, save them from relegation or anything like that, it, it's a big step forward compared to what came before that. And it's at least given them a chance. Exactly. And it did lift them out of the bottom three, however briefly, for the first time all season. And if you look at the last time they were up, they were out of the bottom four for about three weeks. And then it was just, you know, bottom of the table and getting cut off from the rest. And you did sort of fear earlier in the season that the same thing could happen again. But credit to Dean Smith, he has turned things around to an extent. Um, prior to his arrival in the, I believe, 11 games that Daniel Farka took charge of, they'd taken five points in the 13 games under Smith. Under Smith, they've taken 12. While under a point a game won't keep you up in this division, it is at least positive that they look like a team that belongs in the division now. And as you said, they they seem to have more of a of, of the right mentality. Whereas under Farka, they came up and they were like this plucky little feel good story of you know a smaller club, a smaller budget, always having to work to the shoestring, and coming up with a philosophy of playing a certain type of way, sticking to their guns, gaining, I think, a lot of admirers in the fact they did come up and try and play their football. But the overwhelming feeling towards them was, this is a very naive team. Under Dean Smith, they do seem a little bit gnarlier, a little bit more a little bit more cynical, and a little bit more switched on to what it actually takes to survive in this division. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's notable even by the some of the team selections that he's made. I mean, we've spoken several times, not just since he's signed for Norwich, but even in Germany about uh, Josh Sargent, for example, and the type of player that he is. And he's probably being used now in a way which might not be his favourite, might not be... I'm not sure if it's his best. I'm not sure he has a best, but you know, it might not be the, the role that he has habitually been seen in, but he's playing the role that the team needs at the minute, which is just that of a ridiculously hard-working, non-stop runner, a wide outlet at times, but he's tracking back. He's doing all the -the off-the-ball stuff that they've needed. And they found a central midfield partnership recently, which can do similar sorts of things. They don't really lose too much at the minute in terms of the the pass and build-up play that they were trying to do for so long, but they've got that steel and resilience about them. That's, That's the word that I keep thinking of when I watch them now it's not like they give away the ball and there's just this massive gap in midfield just to surge through which teams were doing over and over and over again and nobody was doing anything about it but it is now a bit more resilient it is a bit more I suppose professional is probably the word I don't mean professional in terms of behavior and I just mean in terms of knowing what needs to be done sometimes to to just stop you losing and it is a bit more streetwise a little bit more horrible when they need to in the right Mm. way in the sporting way and uh, that is obviously given them well it is given them a better chance because they were not just bottom but they were like in danger of being adrift very very quickly this season and so it is a really good turnaround that they've managed but you can't do that all the way through the rest of the season it was it was clear that at some point they're going to have a a rebound down again and they'll probably go on a few matches where they don't pick up the points what they want to and that they need to and it is important if they want to stay up, but then they are able to recover from that quickly. It's just not got to be about the new manager bounce only, but be able to do it a little bit more uh, consistently later on in the season as well. Yeah, and I think they have to start really targeting the games 
that they can win and really putting a big emphasis on those. Like games like City and Liverpool, you know, there's a lot of things to laugh at Roy Hodgson about, but one thing he's always been good at is targeting games and going into a game against a City or Liverpool. There was never an expectation to win the game. You would hope for a draw, but at the very worst, you just wouldn't get hammered. And the problem for Norwich is too often they would go into those games, try and match those teams, and just get wiped off the field. You feel like under Dean Smith, maybe there'll be a bit more of an approach to just damage limitation. And in games such as Brentford at home, Leeds away, Burnley at home, Newcastle at home, they are games you could potentially win. They are games to target for victories. And if you can win those games and then pick up points in certain other games, that might be enough to keep you in the division. And you mentioned the changes that Dean Smith has made recently. He he went to a, a sort of a 4-2-3-1, 4-4-2 hybrid with Adam Day playing behind Timu Puki. And it worked really well. Josh Sargent morphing into the modern-day Dirk Kout, moving from a central position out to the right wing, really hard-working, not technically the best player in the world, but never shy of graft, forming a decent understanding with Max Ahrens and giving him a bit of a dig-out defensively as well. And then Rashidska on the other side, sort of being given a bit more of a creative burden, a ball-carrying burden. And they were trying to hit teams on the counter-attack and use the pace and the athleticism they had in that front four with... Lise Malou and Sorensen forming a strong base in the midfield, allowing the fullbacks to get forward as well. You did sort of feel like there was a nice balance to the team. And when they played Watford, they were very, very good. And I thought everything worked well. Same thing against Everton. I mean, they could have scored four or five against Everton. They were really good that day. Um, Now, unfortunately for them, Days picked up an injury. um, And and that's sort of scuppered that plan. Now, he is due back. They're hopeful to have him on the bench this weekend. Sorensen has also picked up an injury, but Matthias Norman is back, and he was very good for them in the first half of the season, relatively speaking, to how the rest were performing. So maybe he can slot into that role. I do feel like Billy Gilmore sort of confuses the mix a little bit, because Smith seems to want to play him, but I do kind of feel like he's not the player to be playing when you're trying to stay in the division. I understand that. And I think it is definitely about finding the right role for him. I mean, you mentioned Ida there. I wonder whether if he is unable to, that's the role that Gilmore can fill in for them, uh, at least for a couple of games. That way you do get him in the team and you do get Mm. his on the ball ability. It's not in his ideal role again, but it might be the only place that he can get into the side at the minute because they really do need those two ball winners there in the central midfield zone. Um, I, I think Lee Malou and Sorensen have really stepped up uh, over the last few games. And even um, uh, Kenny McLean as well, I think, yes. played a, quite a big role in, in a couple of those matches where his, let's say, industry, I think I'll term it as, um, it can be a bit uh, aggressive and it can be a bit just about on the line of what's okay and what's not. But he has that mix of like quality and um, just midfield aggression, really, where he can actually dominate a game in short spells and help the team get back on the front foot, basically. And they really need that. He's a, he's a decent player, Kenny McLean. And I think the 
two of those three really are who they want in place more often than not. Sorensen's a bit of a special case in that he keeps getting changed around positions and filling in wherever he has to. He's played fullback both sides and centre back this season as well. Uh, but as I've said before, in, in lots of other situations, it really is important that they can develop a few partnerships who can play regularly from now to, through to the end of the season, wherever yeah. possible. And like you say, with Gilmore particularly, it's not ideal, but you know, Norwich have to kind of be a little bit selfish at this point. It's not like they're 14th and they promise to play him, you know, a certain amount of games or something like that. They're, they're either going to go down or they're not. And they have to make decisions based on what they think are going to help them survive this season. And then if he plays a part in that, and if they you know, can do a deal with Chelsea, maybe to bring him back again next year and play an, an increased role in that, maybe that works out for everybody. But I think probably from a, a Norwich perspective, it is about doing what's right for them. Without question, the focus has to be on the future and well-being of Norwich City Football Club. As as talented as Billy Gilmore is and how, how good a player he might become, he will become that player for Chelsea in the long run, not for Norwich. So their focus has to be on what's best for them. And you know they've they've started to develop some partnerships. Like I said earlier, I thought the Aaron Sargent partnership was beginning to develop. Then Sargent picked up a bit of a knock. Plachette that came in there, it wasn't quite as good. On the left side, Brandon Williams has established himself as the starting left back, and him and Rashitska have started to really play well in tandem. Um, Giannolis hasn't really had a look in of late because of the form that Williams has been showing. I thought he, in particular, was excellent against Everton and uh, dealt very well with, with everything that they threw at him. So that that's something that they can be confident on. In the midfield, like you said, there's there's some decent options there. Lees Malou, McLean played uh, against um Palace. Sorensen had been in there. Norman is an option there. So they've got four that I would say should be ahead of Gilmore. But behind them, I do just have concerns. Like Grant Hanley's really good in the air. I think he leads the Premier League in aerial win percentage. But when it comes to Turning around, moving. Turning, yeah, yeah. Turning around. My good God, that boy is slow. Like he can't move. He can't run. Anything in behind them, it's game over. Because Ben Gibson is is a is a decent defender, but he's not one blessed with pace. And because Aaron's plays so advanced and so high up, anything into that space, Grant Hanley's in big, big trouble. Now, unfortunately for Norwich, they don't have much choice at the moment because Ozan Quebec is injured or he's, he's ill, and uh, Andrew Omabamadali, who had been playing pretty well this season, he's out with an injury. Now, Quebec might well fall into the same category as Gilmore, where he's not their player. If they go down, they're obviously not going to keep him. So do they really want to give him games that may not make a difference anyway? But, like, Grant Hanley, for me, he's if the game is in front of him, He's absolutely fine. He'll head it and kick it with the best of them. But anything into the channels, in behind him, being asked to turn, being asked to try and run back, he really does struggle. And in the Premier League, where you've got so many quick, mobile attackers, he really is a bit of a liability for them. Good job they haven't got to play against any of that kind of forward this weekend, hey? Yeah. I can imagine when Luis Diaz sees him, he'll turn around and ask Thiago or Fabinho, 
what is this mountain and why is it here? Why why it no move? Because he just he can't move. He can't move at all. And you know, when you don't have a goalkeeper who plays advanced, like Tim Cruel is decent with his feet, but he doesn't play in a high starting position. And Angus Gunn is very much that more old style, you know, six yard Very box given. type of goalkeeper, like a De Gea type. He's a Shea given. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, like glued to the line. Like you can't really afford in this day and age to be playing with defenders, central defenders like you have, unless you're playing a Burnley type of flat back four and don't you fullbacks dare cross the halfway line. Norwich have sort of found themselves trapped in between really attack-minded fullbacks, and then these these deep-block centre-backs. Yeah, I mean, I, I've wondered whether playing Sorensen at centre-back more regularly might be the best way for them, just because he does have a bit more mobility for for his game, obviously. But, you know, with him out injured, and he's had quite a few spells out, and like I said, he's been needed in other areas as well. It's obviously not feasible at the moment. And maybe you can also argue that having that really really deep block at the minute is the best way for them to to operate in in these tougher of games at the very least maybe not once it comes up to the run of games against the teams around them at the bottom all the time but against City and against Liverpool and against a few of the others probably they know they're going to be camped on their own edge of the box Mm. for quite a while and their best route to stifling those teams is to just make sure there's no space to play the balls in behind and if that's the case, then everything is in front of Hanley and Gibson. Now, that's fine while it's nil-nil. The problem comes, obviously, after that. And if you do have to start chasing the game, chasing the points, need a goal later on, that sort of thing, because counter-attacking against him is less than ideal, I think, is how I'll term it. It's found money. If you're counter- counter-attacking against a team with Grant Hanley, you are scoring a goal. Now, maybe Norwich's approach will be We'll defend, defend, defend. And if we go 1-0 down, we'll just defend some more. And we won't open up. We won't chase the game. We'll take that 1-0 defeat and we'll head on home knowing that it hasn't done massive damage to our goal difference because we'd rather lose 1-0 and get out of there than lose 4-1 because we went chasing a game. Do you think it's relevant now for the, for the league this season as it is, given their goal difference is like uh, horrendously worse than everybody else's? They're on minus 36, closest yeah, to that is minus fair, 20. Yeah, to be honest. That is fair. I, I think God. at this stage it's worth them at least going for the 1-1 to begin with. You know, if you go two down, then all right, there's probably game over because you're not scoring twice. But at the very least, you have to go for the point. Yeah, to be fair, when when you've got the worst defensive record in the league, and you couple that with the worst goal-scoring record in the league, uh, which is quite an achievement to have both. Um, not and not be bottom as well. <laughs> yeah, and not be bottom. Um, though, you know, Burnley and, and Watford might point to games in hand. Roy Hodgson could point to the moon. It would make no difference. Watford are, are going down. And I, I do sort of feel like Norwich will go down with them because we're just this far into the season before they've realised this is how we should play in the Premier League, if they had started the season playing this way, going out, being a bit gnarlier, being a bit tighter at the back, not trying to impose themselves on games, trying to play to the strength of the players they have rather than the ideas of the manager, they'd probably be better off and they probably wouldn't be in this mess. Because um, I do think there's a lot of talent there. Like I, I do think... Stuart Webber did a very, very good job in the summer with the players he recruited. 
with how he spent the the Emmy Buendia money. Obviously, they should have sold Todd Cantwell in the summer and, and reinvested that money as well because keeping him around proved to be a massive net negative. But at this point, yeah, may, maybe they are better off just to say, you know, we either go down fighting, we go down all guns blazing, or we go down in a whimper. Like, one way or another, we're, we're almost certainly in the championship next season. But the only thing for Norwich is, you know, you look at the squad and Max Ahrens, may, he may push to leave this summer. Gilmore, if they go down, they might be able to keep Gilmore in the championship for a season on loan. Um, Matthias Norman's on loan as well. But they might be able to keep him even in the championship. I think Rashiska will stay in the championship. Brandon Williams, again, if they go down, they might be able to keep him. Other than other than Aaron's and, you know, Quebec, who's only played, I think, nine games this season anyway, they might be all right. Like they they they'll have most of the same team to go down, which should put them in really good stead to come back up. I mean, I think that's absolutely right. I think they're probably in a better position this time in terms of keeping players than they are last time because they're three really, really standout players last time they were in the Premier League have now all left. Uh, obviously, in um... God, left-back's name has completely gone out of my head. Joel Lewis. Lewis. Mal Lewis uh, and Campwell and Buendia. Uh, Timo Pukki, obviously the, the aberration here in that he just wants to hang out in Norwich and enjoy the adulation and everything else and fair play to him because if they do go down he'll probably get another 25 goals next season mm. but apart from that there's there's not too many there and by contrast if they did manage to stay up I would say that they wouldn't actually have to make too many alterations to the squad for next season because even if they do lose uh, Max Ahrens I, you could make a really really strong case for them retaining Brandon Williams either permanently or on loan shift him across to the opposite side and yeah, maybe even bring back Lewis on loan because he's not in the Newcastle squad even. Never you'd, you'd probably get Lewis picked. very, very cheap as well. Yeah. And I mean, look, the Giannolis isn't a bad player. They have him. Like you like said, you, you can you can shift Williams across because he is naturally right-footed. Oma Bamadeli can play right back as well. So if you've got games where you want to be a bit tighter at the back, you can stick him there and he'll be fine. Uh, Sorensen, as you mentioned, he can slot to right back if needed. So they they would have options. They, and, and Sam Byron is still there. He's at a desperate time with injuries. But he can do a job in the championship. So, yeah, I mean, they could sell Aaron's and reinvest that money elsewhere and just get by with, with what they already own, um, which would be a, a solid a solid situation for them. Uh, I think Aaron's will have suitors. I think the likes of Crystal Palace will be in for him. I think Brighton, if they move on, if if Lamptey gets a big move, I think they'd have a big interest in Max Ahrens. Um, I think there'll be a couple of clubs that will want Ahrens because he has shown that he he can be a very, very good attacking right back. And the only thing they might absolutely need, and it's something I've said last summer and in the January window I thought they absolutely needed, was another goal scorer. Somebody who could come in and get them you know, five to seven goals across the back half of the season, whether that's, you know, in a starting role or off the bench, you know, maybe like if they could have got Balogun on loan from Arsenal, he might have been the type of player that could do that. 
Eddie and Kethy in the summer could be the type of player who could do that for them. But somebody who's a bit more of a poacher than Pookie, who, as we've seen in the past, brilliant in the championship. He's one of those, like Matthias Vidra at Burnley, finds the championship very, very easy. The last two seasons he was there, 29 goals and 43, 26 and 41, comes up to the Premier League, finds it maybe just a little bit above his ability level. 11 and 36 last time, 6 and 22 so far this time. He'll get you 10 goals across the season, probably four or five of them will be penalties. But it does just seem like he's kind of stuck in too good for the championship, not good enough. Dwight Gale was another one like this. Robert Earnshaw of the modern age. Robert Earnshaw was perfect. Marcus Stewart, if we go back a bit further, Mm. too good for the championship, not quite good enough for the Premier League. Or Well, it was was Division 1 at the time, but he wasn't quite good enough for the Premier League. These type of players, every so often they just pop up. I think Jordan Rhodes was probably another one of them. Yeah, um, he, was large, wasn't he? he was, yeah. He he banged in Hugel, goals. I guess as well. He's a he's a very good example. He's a very good championship level striker. Though he had, a, I think he had a pretty poor loan this season. He's but, just gone back out now, hasn't he? To Cardiff. Cardiff, yeah. yeah, yeah, and he'll do well there. Like he will do well in how Cardiff play. Gone in to replace. The fellow well, that went to Kiefer Moore. yeah, Kiefer Moore. That's exactly it. But you know, he he'll do well in the championship as he always has. It didn't work from at West Brom, but that was also a West Brom thing, not just him. Like you look at at Carlin Grant, he's struggled this season as well. Um, Daryl Dyke was brought in, and, and Andy Carroll was signed, so Hugel was let go. But he he'll do well at, at Cardiff because it it suits. He's already got two goals in five league games. These type of players pop up every so often. Team Apuki's just the latest of them. And it's just, it's the one thing Norwich could do with, with adding. Like, you keep him, obviously, because he is a good player and he clearly wants to be there. He's been there, what, four years now? He clearly enjoys it. And, you know, he, he brings a bit of a bit of leadership to the group and he's certainly a hard-working player. You, you can imagine he's one that does lead by example, but I think he's just a level below what you want starting for you in the Premier League. And that's the one thing I would say they've lacked this season because, yeah, conceding 50 goals is not good, but only scoring 14, that's where your real problem comes in. And they do have a few players in the support role as well who a year from now, two years from now, could be an awful lot better than they've shown so far. You know, people like uh, Solis, who they spent quite a lot of money on in the summer, really promising youth player at international level and obviously in Greece, but hasn't really had the opportunity to thrive in obviously a a team which is confident or has a set way of playing. And at the minute he's behind Rashika, who's playing an important role for them, but he's only 20 years old. Um, Even like... Chetta is 23. I mean, it's not young, but it's not exactly it has to make it this year or anything like that. There's still scope for them to improve if Norwich do stay up and Sargent as well, 21, Ida 21. Two yep. years down the line, even if that is after one more season in the championship, two years from now in the Premier League, they could be like quite decent starting caliber forwards for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, that's, that's one of the things I think Stuart Weber has done quite well in, in building out this squad is there are players coming through all the time. He's 
he's targeting young players to bring into the group so that Norwich are, to an extent, future-proof. Now, I'm sure Stuart Webber would prefer if they could stay in the Premier League for a couple of years so he might get some real money to spend. But, you know, there's a couple of lads out on loan as well. Sam McCallum, the young left-back they brought from... from um, wasn't it Coventry they bought him from? He's another player who could be able to come back in, fill in at left-back next season in the Championship if they could keep Brandon Williams and shift him to right-back. Or if they can't keep Williams and say Giannolis decides he's not going to stick around, well, you could have McCallum at left-back, Oma Bamadeli at right-back, two young players to build out your defence with, and then you just go from there. And that's one of the reasons I do think Weber's very good. Now, it wouldn't surprise me if he gets plucked. Uh, Brighton are going to be holding interviews to replace their uh, director of football, Dan Ashworth. And I would imagine Stuart Weber will be high on their list because he's someone that can work within financial restrictions, is very data-orientated, as is the case at, at Brighton, and has done, to his credit, a very good job at Norwich in building a team that, yeah, it's come up twice. It's more on the managers than him that it's gone back. or it, Well, it hasn't gone back down twice yet, but it looks like it might. So, you know, Brighton, uh, Norwich, rather, they're in a... They're in a good enough position, like, you don't look at them, like, say, for example, Burnley. I look at Burnley and think, if they go down, they're screwed. Because Dyche will walk, McNeil will go, Pope will go, Tarkovsky's going anyway on a free. The owners won't invest any money, and there's nothing else really there that you could hang your hat on. I don't know that Max Cornet and, and Veghorst fancy a season in the championship either, so maybe they both have to go on loan. In which case, Burnley aren't coming back up. Whereas, as we've just been over with Norwich, it's a team that's well positioned to drop down a couple of clever additions and all of a sudden they're back up again in 12 months. Yeah, I, I, I think that's pretty much spot on. I mean, we don't know how long Stuart Webber's going to go there and he has obviously said that he has ambitions to go to a bigger club, to work in Champions League clubs, to go overseas as well. So maybe he's only got a couple of years left there himself. Um, but the thing is that, like we say, he's building the team not just for now, but for the coming three, four years as well. For the team to be improving, for still there to be income streams from from reselling players on afterwards. You know, you only need one of them, like Solis, for example, to really catch fire, have two good seasons, something like that, and he could all of a sudden be a 30, 35 million pound player. And that sets mm. him up again for the next cycle. Obviously, then the onus is on them to find someone just as good to replace him. Um, always a bit hit and miss, perhaps, when you do that kind of thing, as Liverpool are about to discover. And I think uh, Mr. Ward's first big involvement is probably going to start this weekend, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. And and another one they have, like, obviously, Rashidska they brought for £10 million. He's had an OK season, not a great season. But if he was to go down into the Championship next year and just cause absolute chaos... He could be 30 million next summer. I mean, look at look at Dan Juma at Bournemouth. Awful first season in the Premier League, great season in the Championship, and all of a sudden he's 25 million away to Villarreal. You know, and and that's that's in part why Burnley or why um why Norwich buy these players and two others that they brought in last summer that will be worth keeping an eye on. Young Kenny Coker, the striker they brought from Southend. And Flynn Clark is a really interesting one. Came in from Peterborough. I spoke to the owner of Peterborough 
for a Money Talks pod with Mo. And just before we were recording, I was just asking about a couple of the players. And he said, this kid is one to watch. They were gutted to lose him. But the Norwich offer was too good to turn down. So he's one maybe to keep an eye on for next season as well. An attacking midfielder can play wide, could potentially develop into a central midfielder as well. So, you know, between those two and Solis, that's three really good young players. Sargent is a young player. Uh, a day, Omabama Delhi. That's you know the core of your next Norwich team potentially there already. Um, let's finish on Norwich then before we move on to the Reds. What are you expecting from them in terms of a lineup this weekend? So, in, injury wise, Tim Krul is still out. Sorensen is out. A day they hope to have back. Rupp they hope to have back. Quebec they're hoping to have back. Oma Bamadeli is out for a while. If we look at the team that played City, they had Angus Gunn in goal, Aarons, Hanley, Gibson and Williams across the back, Gilmore, Lees Malou and McLean in midfield, Sergeant Pookie and Rashika as a front three. Are we expecting something similar? Do you see many changes there? Uh, no, I mean, 4-4-2 pretty much line up off the ball, especially. Um, if I just fit, I expect him to come back in alongside Pookie and be that one who drops in. But, yeah, it's pretty much going to be that that really, really solid, hard-working line of four that they've got there in midfield. Rashika, McLean, Lee Malou and Sargent on the right. I think as long as they have that, they can kind of fit other bits around it if they need to. We've spoken about, obviously, at centre-back, they've got limited options there now, so you expect Gibson and Hanley to partner up again. And Williams has won his place on merit. Simple as that, really. Uh, so I think that the only real potential changes is someone instead of Ida, maybe Gilmore or maybe Solis if they want a bit more counter-attack and outlet, something like that. But if he's fit, I think Ida plays. He, he, he was, I'm not going to lie, he was rubbish earlier on this season. He mm. was pure rubbish. And then I saw him against... Oh, I can't remember. I have to have a quick look at their fixture list. It was one game he played in. He came off the bench and he just did a couple of turns and he just barged a couple of players out of the way. And I thought, wow, I've not seen him do that all season long. And then he turned around in the next game and he clattered one from about 25 yards against the post. And it was a, kind of like just a switch had gone off in him. And he was all of a sudden, uh, Dean Smith's obviously taken him to one side and had a bit of a chat and raised his confidence levels and told him, look, you're going to get a run. Go and do what you're capable of. And suddenly he's able to. And he's holding players off. He's holding the ball up well. His first touch and little wall passes, really, really good. And mm. he can belt the ball from anywhere. His, his shooting style as a as a centre forward is kind of like, not on the same level, but I just mean how he gets out of his feet, how he sort of stands over the ball, quite imposing over it, and how he hammers it is a little bit like Stan Collymore back in the day. And he, He's like, like Collymore. He's more comfortable when he's able to drop off the front into yeah. the little pockets of space, get turned and get the game in front of him. Earlier in the season, he was playing an awful lot with his back to goal. And he was, defenders were finding really easy to just knock him off the ball. But now he's playing with a bit more separation and he's added an aggressiveness. I think Dean Smith might have said, look, son, you're 6'3". Yeah. You're built like a tank. What are you getting bullied around by smaller centre-backs for? Go out and be aggressive. You're the forward. You will get the, the benefit here, of the doubt. I think the key here is that he is facing the goal more often now when he's mm. when he's taking possession. He's already facing the way that he needs to. He can move the ball out of his feet quite well, and he's passing forward. He hasn't got to control it, 
try and turn a man straight away. It's it's already in front of him as such. He's playing the right way now. Taking and the he's ball got on runners the and turn. movement as well in Rashidska, Sargent and Pukki. That's helping that is, him massively. Yeah, that is always the thing. When you're a forward, you know, especially if you're not just a, a predator in and around six-yard box, you have to have runners around you. You have to have people who are giving you an option to play the early pass. Even if you're not a, you know, a creative number 10 or anything, you've got to get rid of the ball and then get yourself into decent areas as well. And for that, you need movement. And he is... He is probably the single most improved player since Dean Smith has taken over. Just, but that's just because of the level that he was playing at before. It was it was so lacking in confidence and really any direction. He's not a hold-up player. I'm mm. not comparing any other aspect of his game to Collymore here other than his style of shooting. Like Collymore could pretty much do everything. I don't think Ida's hold-up player is all that good at the moment. But as a link player, facing the way and playing off and making the run into space and finding room to take a shot, He's very, very good at that all of a sudden again. And it's much more like I was described him from his, his youth days at Norwich from a, a few of the people who watch him. Yeah, I mean, you know, he kind of burst onto the scene, didn't he, with that that hat-trick in the FA Youth Cup against Barnsley. And then when he got into the first team, he scored a hat-trick against, um, was it Preston, I think, um, in the FA Cup again. And from an Irish point of view, it's been it's been a very barren spell for Ireland in terms of developing young players and having exciting players come through, especially forwards. So, of course, we see this. This kid's 19. He's banging in a hat-trick in the FA Cup. And we're like, oh, this is this is it. This is the guy we're going to have. We're going to have a guy up front. And then, you know, not to be too disrespectful, but he, he was shit for two years. He was shit for two years, and I was really hoping he'd go on loan this season, and he didn't. And then, like you said, he was really poor at the start of the year, but he's worked his way back in. Smith has definitely triggered something with him, and hopefully he can carry this form on the rest of the season. Because if he goes down into the championship playing like he is now, he is having a big old season in the championship next year. If he's confident and aggressive, and he's just getting the ball out of his feet and letting it fly... He will score a lot of goals. Um, another striker, actually, we didn't mention, too good for the championship, maybe not good enough for the Premier League, Mitrovic. Unbelievable last two years in the championship. Dog shit in the Premier League last year. Um, anyway, let's move on to the Reds. We have just the one injury, uh, and it is Diogo Jota with a twisted ankle. Now, we don't know how long he's going to be out. They're hoping to have him assessed today. And uh, we should find out soon enough what the situation is. But he's the only one out. Everybody else appears to be fit and well. We come off the back of beating Inter Milan. That was our seventh win in a row, which is always nice to get a nice winning streak going, especially when it's across four competitions. That's always enjoyable. Um, This obviously is a game we should win, Carl. It's an opportunity for us to keep the pressure on City, win this one, beat Leeds, the gap is six, and then, you know, you just keep churning away and keep going, and you hope that City start to slip up. And City have a difficult game this week playing Spurs. How difficult it will be probably depends on which version of Spurs turn up, but still, uh, it's a more difficult game than we have. What do you think Klopp does with the team for this game, knowing that Leeds in the week Cup final next weekend. Is this a rotation game or does he go with his strongest 11 and then rotate in the week? 
I think we might see a bit of in between the two now for this run of games. Obviously, for the for the cup final, it's mostly going to be our strongest team. But we already know, for example, that Kelleher is going to be in goal. So it's not necessarily just going to be the best 11 available. I think there will be an element of uh, understanding and opportunity in the next few games. So I think there will be changes, but I don't think it'll be widespread. Um, I mean, for example, I'm, I'm really interested about Luis Diaz. Obviously, he's had a really big impact and there's a lot of excitement about him and all, all the rest of it. But in terms of actually being in the Liverpool team rather than an impact sub, we both suggested maybe five to six starts when he first joined between now mm. and the end of the season. So I think that this is one of the games that we highlighted and I think that I stick with it. I think he's going to come in for this game and that's going to be start number two for him, which is not bad considering the, the he's been pretty good as sub as well. And if we can ease him into it without really needing to rely on him as such, I think you know that, that points that Liverpool are really, really moving in the right direction in terms of strengthening not just the team, but the squad, keeping ourselves at the same level what we've spoken about for years, being able to make a change or have an injury, make a sub halfway through the match and not having the actual level of the team go down at all. I think that this is this one, Kanate, for example, these are two really, really big additions that we've made this season. Agreed. I do agree with that. Let's start with the front line then and start working our way back. So I think we both agree Diaz starts left wing. Salah got his goal last night, but he hasn't looked at his best since coming back. Do you think this might be a game to rest him, or would you play Salah from the start in this and hope that, you know, Norwich, bit of a soft defence, he can get some goals and get himself back in rhythm? If Jota was fit, I was going to leave Salah out of this one and leave him sub for this one and have this as the, you know, the get ready again game. Because I think anyone really for Liverpool playing up front should play well and score and be confident against Norwich's defence, whereas against Leeds, for example, back in a bit of form, very tricky team from a tactical perspective, I think we'll need to be very, very good to be them. So I would have said Salah on the bench for this and Jota to start on the right. But as Jota's unlikely to be fit as things stand, I, I would still start Salah again in this one. He's just going to have to play off the road and score some more goals. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, the other option, I suppose, would be to play Mane on the right. If you did want to leave Mo on the bench, you could move Sadio back across. Um, of course, Sadio could also play through the middle if Klopp wanted to do that. But I'm expecting that Bobby Firmino will start through the middle. I presume so. Uh, I would also be you know, fairly open to starting Mane through the middle, to be honest. Whichever one of them needs to start the game. Mm. Um, you know, there's the possibility that this is a, a comeback game for like Origi from fitness, that kind of thing. Uh, if it's going to be the case where he does get a start, then this is probably the one you're looking at. But overall, I would imagine it would be Firmino. Yeah, so if we go Salah, Firmino, Diaz up front, moving into midfield... The number six position, obviously, is Fabinho's, but Henderson came on there last night and played very well. Now, only one of them can play in the number six at any one time. I think we'll agree we want Fabinho there for the cup final. I would have said they play Fabinho here and Henderson against Leeds just for, you know, giving Fabinho the midweek rest. But this game seems more suited to Henderson as the six, and the Leeds game seems more suited to Fabinho as the six, given the way Leeds break forward and get numbers forward, and Henderson's struggles with tracking runners and things like that. So what way do you think Klopp will go? 
I think the same as you've just suggested. I think this one for Henderson to come in and start, uh, it's probably a bit of a, I don't know, if he needs it, probably a bit of a confidence boost or whatever after playing well and then getting the nod and then, you know, it may be that Fabinho comes on as sub in this game for anyone and Henderson moves back out to the side. I've no real worries about Henderson, uh, sorry, Fabinho playing midweek and then at the weekend, that should be perfectly Mm. fine for him. And the only other real issue there is that do you change the entire midfield around? Because that's not ideal. You know, we, we can make one or two changes if needed in each line. That's fine. But you don't want to be changing, for example, three three midfielders and two forwards. I think that that's maybe pushing it a little bit in terms of keeping the cohesion going. Agreed. Agreed. I, I'd i be inclined to start Keita over Thiago for this one and keep Harvey in the team. Because I think... Harvey didn't have a great game last night. I didn't think he was bad, but he had a bit of a quiet game. And I'd be inclined to keep him in the team just to keep his confidence up. So I, I'd be looking at maybe going Harvey, Henderson, Naby, and then in midweek go with Thiago, Fabinho, plus maybe Naby. And then you make your decision for the cup final as to who the third midfielder is alongside Thiago and Fabinho. Um, yeah, in line with that. So yeah, I, I think I think it's just worth giving Harvey another game, especially if Mo was going to be playing because you want to try and build that that partnership back up that they kind of established earlier in the season. Yeah, uh, on, on that that right hand side. Only thing in- I would add to the midfield line is that I hope we are seeing, assuming there's no you know issue and confidence is fine, all the rest of it. Um, Curtis Jones back on the bench. Don't like the idea of him going from a, a regular starter to just not in the squad whatsoever. Yeah, it's a bit of an odd situation that one. I maybe he's had maybe there's a little bit of a niggle that we don't know about. I don't know. Uh, but he was in this situation last year as well, where he was in the side loads and then he barely and he just played from like January through to April. Yeah, he just disappeared out of the team for for whatever reason. Um, the 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 we'll we'll look at the bench as well, but the question would be who comes off the bench. Um, to to allow Curtis back in, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm the same. I do hope he does get some games. I mean, I wouldn't be against starting him this weekend. I wouldn't be against starting him against Leeds. I think he'd be perfectly fine in, in either game. Um, but I I would go with the Harvey Henderson Naby midfield given the choice. Um, in defence, ideally this would be a game where I'd want to rest Trent and give him give him an afternoon off, but there isn't another option unless Joe Gomez comes in. Can I interest you in a bit of Joe Gomez at right back for this game? No, I'm fine. Thank you. Oh, that's a shame. Um, I, I would be keeping Ibu and Virgil together for this one, Carl. I, I want to see that partnership developed. I, I think after the weekend, uh, sorry, midweek, there would not be too many people disagree with you there. I think if Gomez is to come in, it's probably at centre-back and it would be there, but three different centre-back partnerships in in three games is a bit much, Mm. uh, assuming that whoever plays next to Virgil against Leeds is the one who's going to be starting with him in the final. You would imagine you want to keep at least, you know, one game beforehand the same. So are we now going to see Canati play four in a row? which I think would be the first time since he's joined us, or are we going to see two games for him and then Matip come back in for two games? 
I, I feel like it, it'll be Matip coming back in for two games. I, I, I don't think Klopp is fully ready to hand the baton over to Kanate. And to be fair, Matip has done nothing to warrant being dropped. He's had a good season. I don't think it's been the, the great, incredible, unbelievable season that some have made out. I think some of his dribbling has maybe masked some fairly shaky defensive performances. But he's been good this season and he hasn't warranted being dropped. He does have a good partnership with Virgil. But I think I'd be looking at Kanate in this one, Matip for Leeds, Matip for, for Chelsea in the final. Um, if it's Trent, Matt, uh, Kanate or Matip and Virgil, I think this is a game for Costas to get a run. Robbo has been playing really well. This is not dropping Robbo. This is merely giving Robbo a little bit of a breather to have him back for Leeds then and back for the final. Uh, as I remember it, uh, Costas enjoyed playing against Norwich uh, much, much earlier on in the season. Mm. First game of the season, in fact, wasn't it? And, and Cup, I think he played against him as well. I'm pretty yes. sure Costas did really well and got an assist in, against Norwich in the Cup. So seems to be a team who we allow, let's say, a few of the players just knocking on the door to come back into. And yeah, I agree. We, we've barely seen much of a drop-off when Costas has come into the team from one game to the next. Uh, maybe on those occasions where he's not played for four or five weeks, you can see that it takes him a game or two to get back that rhythm and confidence, especially in the final third. But yeah, I, I, absolutely no issues with him coming back in. The only thing is, like I say, you don't want like nine changes being made. You don't want like three in every single line of the team being made. But if we're keeping the other three centre-backs the same for this game, I, I see no issue there whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, if it's basically it's one change in defence if Costas comes in, two in midfield. But again, it's it's not players that have been out in the cold. Henderson has been starting a lot. Naby started as recently as Burnley. And obviously both of them got half an hour in the week. Up front, Bobby did get 45 minutes in the week. Uh, Diaz started against... Leicester so you know they've both been getting and obviously came on for, for 30 minutes against Inter so they you know they should be in a, at least a bit of a rhythm here's where I think there should be a change because I think Kelleher needs to play one of the next two games before that cup final now he's done well in the past of coming in from the cold but I'd like to see him get a game between Norwich and Leeds for ahead of the cup final and I feel like this would be the easier game for him as opposed to Leeds where games can get a bit manic. <laughs> they can. Yeah, that's a reasonable shout, to be fair. If that is the case, then I don't want any change at all at centre-back whatsoever. I don't want all of that line, the defensive midfielder, the centre-back and the goalkeeper being changed. I think that's just asking for trouble too much and it's not mm. necessary. Um, I don't think it's going to happen, to be fair. I don't I don't. Imagine no, I think I, I assume Ali will start, but I, yeah. I would like to see Kelleher get the get the nod just for this one, or like yeah. I said, or for Leeds. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable thing to suggest, but I don't think that we will see it. No, no, most likely not. Um, Although that said, thinking about it now, during the break, Allison was obviously playing as well with Brazil and all that, so he has been. You know, fairly non-stop. He didn't at least have that couple of weeks off that some of them did. So maybe there is a slight case for it. Yeah, that's the thing. Because 
it's going to be busy from now till the end of the season. And I, I guess Kelleher will play um, in the FA Cup game against Norwich. I guess. I mean, I, I don't know for certain whether he will. Um, he obviously played against Cardiff. And he does appear to be the cup goalkeeper. Um, he played against Cardiff behind a defence of Trent, Ibu, Virgil and Costas, which is the defence that we've suggested for for the weekend. So at least he has a bit of experience with them. That midfield that day was Henderson, Naby and Curtis Jones. And we've obviously suggested maybe Harvey comes in. But it could be Curtis, you never know. Klopp does mad things, he just... Tries to keep us on our toes. Um, Liverpool are chasing a fifth successive Premier League win and an eighth in all competitions. It would be a nice way to set ourselves up for, you know, what's going to be a big week with Leeds in that game in hand and then obviously Chelsea in the in the cup final. Uh, what is your prediction for this game? I'm going to go for a 4-0 victory to Liverpool. Not too over the top considering how many goals they have conceded this season. But I do think that um, the attacking options that we have, a couple of people coming into the team, that cup final looming large and people wanting Mm. the places, I I do think we'll see a good performance back at Anfield. Everyone should be pretty confident. We are unbeaten there all season long. I don't think there's any reason to suspect we will fall short in this one. Yeah, we've got a nice little run coming up now where it's home to Norwich, home to Leeds, cup final, home to Norwich again. So other than that trip to Wembley, we are going to be based at Anfield. And then obviously when Inter comes up in the the second leg, that's also a game at Anfield. So we should be very, very confident in these things. Um, I'll go 3-0, purely because we've beaten them 3-0 twice. And, you know, it'd be be fun to get four 3-0 wins over them across the course of the season. And, uh, yeah, all things considered, I think this is a game that we... We should win. We'll have to give them some respect because there's some decent players. But it shouldn't be too much of a... It shouldn't be too much hassle. We, we, we should win it comfortably enough. Um, anything you want to plug before we go? Usual European pieces ahead of the weekend. So catch them on The Independent or on Twitter if you want them. And uh, I will probably do another some sort of post about the referees not giving Mo Salah fouls during the game. Yes, that will be worth doing. Because it is getting a little bit ridiculous. And I certainly feel like the club should maybe be asking questions about Darren England's suitability to be a VAR in the Premier League. Uh, Two-footed pod every day at 4pm. Daily Red every day at lunchtime. We'll be back next week with a scouted for Leeds and a scouted for that Chelsea Cup final. Uh, Follow Carl on Twitter at Carl Matchett. Follow Guy Drinkle at Guy Drinkle. And uh, don't follow me because it's just a pain in the arse. See you later. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index 
and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.